for authors, artists, writers, copywriters. Bevy's Cottage Formatting and Design is here to help you polish and beautify your book or script and develop a clean professional product ready for print on demand or ebook. Services include book interior formatting, cover wrap design and formatting, copy editing, proofreading, and graphic design. From event posters, banners, book event signage, ebook formatting, even illustration, to back cover blurbs, maps, and chapter header art. I can help you turn your art into a quality package primed for publication, print, and even broadcast. The full list of services and pricing are available on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Feffy's Cottage FD. F-E-F-F-I-E-S Cottage FD. Don't let your good works get dragged down by simple grammatical or visual issues. Come and check out my page today. This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion. Read by the author. Dedication. Chapter 14 is dedicated to my children. To my wonderful, beautiful, crazy girls, I hope you'll always know and understand how proud I am to be your father. You are all so precious in my life. You know how to get on my last nerve and melt my heart in an instant. I count myself extremely lucky to be your father, but thank you for being the bright, shiny parts of my day with your big smile and joyful laughs. Also, sorry that I passed along my sense of humor to you. Well, maybe that apology should go to your mom. Love you guys. Last time on A Better Utopia. After striking a deal with the Red Robe Police Chief, the group made its escape with the surgeon and his family out of Charlottesville. Rodriguez and Uliam are separated from the main group during the escape. Balaam is awakened in a strange carriage with an even stranger woman who, after digging into Balaam's mind, calls herself Abigail. The sun was high and hot by the time Rodriguez and myself stumbled into Ruckersville. We had spent more time than before in the sewers, trying to find our way back into the abandoned cottage. We never found our way back or caught up to the rest of the group. Instead, we ended up on the opposite side of the city, and from there, we found our way to Ruckersville. My body ached and begged for sleep. My head began to throb like I had drank too much and had a horrible hangover. My throat begged for the smallest drink of water, yet the thrill of being alive after all of what we had faced is what pushed my feet forward. Well, that and the thought of a warm bed waiting for me. The town was larger than expected. Three different saloons lined the main street and four ends that offered meal services right next to them. 
all sorts of shops and tradesmen peddling their wares or services, but all paled in comparison to the largest building at the end of the main drag. A large building with wooden columns carved to look like half-dressed women stood taller than any other. The large wooden sign that hung down with the white letters trimmed in red spelled out the Peppermint Pony, Spirits, Games, and Fine Company. Clearly, this was the lifeblood of the town. That and the small mill that operated noisily at the other end of town. My tired, sore feet finally stumbled into camp that was set up just a stone's thrown away from the town's stable in an open field out of the city limits. There were fewer tents than usual, which probably meant that most of the people opted to stay in at the end for a change. I didn't blame them. After the last few days of setting up tents in heavy, cold rain, I may even think of finding a room myself. Rodriguez? You? Hey, everyone! They made it back! Finnegan rushed over to us as he yelled, bouncing up and down like an excited puppy. Leslie and Douglas rounded the corner of the mess wagon and walked up to us. Good! You boys are alive! Leslie said in a happy tone, which was odd for my ears as he tended to be on the grumpy side. We were just about to mount up a search for y'all. We got lost in the sewers and had to find our own way out, Rodriguez yawned as he spoke. Where's Jacob and the surgeon? I said, trying my best not to yawn as well. So we're up at the clinic along with Rebecca, Ruby, Lilith, and Lucas, Douglas said with a big smile. I still don't know how you exactly pulled that whole thing off. It was amazing, really. You really must have the Lord looking out for you. I, Douglas, you're a believer? Douglas' smile grew even bigger, revealing his white teeth. Found my faith in the first great war. As they say, there's no atheists in a foxhole. No, but there definitely are agnostics. Rodriguez's sly, tired smile crept on his face. So, where can we get a bite to eat and lay our heads at? Well, the mess wagon isn't up right now, Leslie scratched his beard. But, but, a few inns have great food services, and I also think there was some, there was some outdoor food wagon not too far down the road. The Rebecca said for you boys to meet her at the clinic ASAP. I think Lilith and her plan on paying for your food and your room to stay. Hey, thank you, Douglas interrupted. If you're too tired to walk, I'm sure we can figure out a way to get you there, although it's not too far from here. Just saying she didn't have to, but Rodriguez cut me off. What way? We can walk. I'll show them. Finnegan chimed in. I can even show them where the inn is. Us three are sharing a room. He had a happy grin plastered on his face as he started walking towards the town. Lead the way, brother. Rodriguez exclaimed. The road from camp started out mostly gravel and dirt, yet once we were inside the city limits, which didn't take long, it became smooth, paved brick road. You could tell this town brought in a lot of money. Even most of the buildings were in prestigious condition. Shutters were not broken like in most towns, but freshly painted and covering real glass windows. Finn, what made you want to join the army as a sanitation specialist? Anyway... Rodriguez asked with a lit cigar in his mouth. Every few steps, he blew out a cloud of smoke as he talked. I mean, there's a lot of safe jobs out there. That would be a little more, I don't know, exciting than that. Finnegan sighed. <sighs> I didn't want to be a sanitation specialist. Actually, I tried to be infantry. However, my dad got involved. What do you mean your dad got involved? I asked. Finnegan's tone changed from its usual happy-go-lucky to more of a tone of disapproval. Well, my dad is Paul Finnegan Sr. of Iron Pine Cattle. 
Wait, your dad is the co-owner of the largest cattle ranch in the Northwest? Utter shock filled my voice. I knew of the ranch he spoke of, but never put it together that he may be related to a cattle baron. Finnegan's cheeks flushed. Yeah. So, your dad is a cattleman. What does that got to do with your job in the army? Rodriguez asked nonchalantly after blowing out more, more of the musky smoke. Well, Finnegan scratched at his arm nervously. They had a huge contract with the government to provide beef for the military up until about two years ago. He had a lot of pull with high-ranking officers and government officials. And when my draft card came up, he made it disappear. But I didn't want that. We fought a lot about it, and eventually I enlisted without him knowing. Or so I thought. My contract was supposed to be for the infantry, but when I reported in, it had mysteriously changed. I can only guess my father probably got involved somehow. Rodriguez gave Finnegan a funny look. Wait, if your dad has so much pull, why are you here? I mean, he could have you on first-class tickets on some train or airship safely traveling home. Hell, you would be there by now. Finnegan's tone took on a more frustration as he said, I said he had a lot of pull. Two years ago, the contract negotiations didn't pan out. He lost the contract to Faux Foods, and there's somehow cheaper meat. It hurt us financially as well as that was our biggest customer. So I guess you guys just have to put up with me. He threw up his hands in a dramatic fashion. Then, I'm glad you're here. It's not like that, Rodriguez exclaimed. It's just if I had a choice between this trip and flying home safely, I'd choose safely. I was just curious, that's all. Well, I didn't really have a choice, Finnegan's tone softened, but you could tell he was still annoyed. The cost of tickets is so outrageous, even for a train, and getting a hold of one before the few tickets are bought up is almost impossible. Even when my dad had pull, I don't know if he could get me one. You pretty much have to be a sitting senator or something like that to get a hold of one. Finnegan stopped walking and pointed at two buildings that stood across from each other on the other edge of town. That one there is the Mayberry Inn. It's where Rebecca rented our rooms for us. And that building there is the clinic. Rev, you go ahead to the clinic if you want. Let Rebecca know I appreciate it. I'm going to see about getting a bath and then getting some rest. Rodriguez turned and started heading for the inn, but stopped to stare at a carriage that was oddly stopped down the road from us for a moment. I turned to look at it as well. Where it was was quite odd, but other than that, it didn't stand out at all. Then the driver whipped the reins and started moving, and so did Rodriguez. Finnegan and myself made our way to the clinic. It wasn't small, but it definitely was no major hospital. The building was two stories, and unlike most of the buildings here, was made of brick instead of wood. It had a striped barber pole in front of the two heavy wooden doors that, le that led the way in from the wooden deck that served as a walkway. I walked up to the big wooden door and placed my hand on the oversized brass knob. I was about to push it open when Finnegan spoke up. Um, hey, William, Finnegan said behind me. I turned and looked at the red-haired, freckled-faced man. His green eyes seemed worried as he spoke. Yeah, Finn? Can we keep my family stuff, just you, me, and Rodriguez? Finnegan made a face like the whole story anguished him. Why's that? Well... It's just when people find out about my family, they start treating me differently. Almost like they suck up to me, and it gets really weird. He looked down and started digging in the dirt of the road with the toe of his boot. Like, they laugh at all my jokes or act like I walk on water or something. Well, don't worry, I won't start laughing at all your dumb jokes. I smiled at the man, and he chuckled back. Don't worry, I won't say anything about it. But, 
You may want to tell Big Mouth over there at the inn not to say anything. I pointed at the inn that Rodriguez had just entered. He laughed again. Oh, that's a good point. from our sponsors. I could no longer deny it. It was time, yet my stomach lurched and I had a cold sweat form upon my brow. I had to face that dreaded thing that resided in my bathroom. I trudged into the bathroom and flicked on the light. I knew what was coming next and it made my heart race. My eyes welded up in tears for the sheer horror that was about to take place in this very bathroom. It was unfair. Why? Why did it have to be this way? I turned on the shower, lifted a trembling hand to the old, rusty, cheap, store-bought razor. My mind flashed the last time, to the time of painful razor burn, and even worse, how I had nicked myself. Oh, what a bloodbath. I lifted the razor, and knew, knew my time had come. My heart pounded in my chest, and it was time to do the unthinkable. I was about to start the bloodbath when a knock came from the door. A sweet, angelic voice said, Hey babe, I got you that manscaped stuff you wanted. It's in the drawer under the sink. I went to the drawer and pulled it open. There, there it was, a beautiful black leather bag, and in it, my salvation. Guys, grooming yourself doesn't have to be a horror story. Ditch the razor or the lackluster trimmers that pull hair and upgrade to Manscaped. It's been a game changer for me. I'm not having to deal with hair being pulled by the trimmer or wielding a blade around spots that, well, make me nervous. The Lawnmower 4.0 works like a charm. It comes with this amazing light who, and whoever designed that is a freaking genius. And well, basically it's pretty smooth. And really everything that came in the kit it was amazing. It left me feeling pretty fresh and comfortable. I mean, I work a pretty hard job and uh, let's just say the products really helped me stay comfortable down there. By far my favorite part, the boxers. Probably the best pair of boxers I've ever worn. So go help yourself and help the show. Use the promo code UTOPIA and you get 20% off plus free shipping. That's promo code, all caps, U-T-O-P-I-A for 20% off your purchase plus free shipping. The inside of the clinic looked just as one would think. Any clinic in the UPC would look. A large waiting room with wooden benches and tables where newspapers scattered on them. A large square desk that was well varnished, well enough that the light reflected off of it, sat upon a hardwood floor that shined just as much. Cheap paintings of scenic views hung on the walls, next to smaller medical posters that had various health information printed across them. What made the room feel brighter was in the corner of the waiting room sat two recognizable and very beautiful women. Rebecca sat on the wood chair holding a, new a newspaper, yet she wasn't reading it. Her eyes looked deep with worry and seemed as if her mind was somewhere else. Lilith sat upon the floor playing with a small child who looked to be the son of the surgeon. All three looked tired, yet the eyes of the little boy held a spark of joy as he laughed and played with a tiny tin toy train on the ground. And this spot here, the little boy pointed at the spot on the floor, 
This is the train station where we'll pick up all the zoo animals. Oh, and what zoo will we be taking them to? Lilith's voice was filled with joy that was infectious. Rebecca looked up when she heard the door close behind Finnegan and I. Her face held a look of sorrow mixed with a lack of sleep, but it lit up and she smiled big as she saw us. Yuliam, you're alive! She bolted up from the chair, causing the newspaper to fly off her lap and threw her body against mine. Finnegan, did you guys have to go looking for them? We were just about to leave when they walked into town. Finnegan smiled big at her, then looked over at me. We almost had to handcuff her here when you didn't return with us. Rebecca buried her head into my chest. I don't care what it is. Next time you are going off into danger, I'm coming with you. I started to argue with this, but before I could even form the proper words, Rebecca pulled her head off my chest and gave me a look that caused me to reconsider. Instead, I changed the subject. How's Jacob? But I immediately regret asking that. Rebecca tried her best not to fade back, but she failed horribly. The good news is he's going to live. The bad news is his, his leg's so infected that Dr. Whitford says he'll have to remove it below the kneecap. Are we sure we can trust this surgeon? I asked in a harsh whisper. I hope the little boy cannot hear the harshness in my tone. Rebecca and Lilith both looked at me confused. Lilith spoke up. Why do you say that? He's a utopian, or at least he used to be. My tone came out louder than I wanted, but the anger was filling my gut that forced it out, and I was still incredibly tired. Both looked at me in shock as the little boy stopped playing with the, his toy train and stood up. Are you guys talking about my daddy? He said, trying to puff himself up bigger than he was. Lilith looked at him and smiled. She placed her hand on his shoulder. We are, but we're not trying to pick on him. We're just worried about my brother, and we don't know much about your dad. My daddy is the best doctor ever, and he'll fix your brother up really good, he proclaimed. Lilith beamed at the boy. Well, Bobby, if you say so, I'll trust your word. Let's go back to plane. You were just telling me where your train was stopping next. He studied me for a moment with his deep blue eyes. He looked as much like his mother as possible. His straw blonde hair to his cheeks and nose. It was a male copy of his mother. Except his blue eyes. Those were his father's eyes. He then turned, smiled at Lilith, and began playing again. He must have decided I was no threat to his father. Can I uh, play with you guys? Finnegan knelt down by the two. Bobby looked up at him, then at Lilith, and back to Finnegan. Do you think she's pretty? Every time she's around, you try to be near her. My daddy says that's why he's around mom all the time, because she's pretty. Finnegan's face blushed so hard that it lost all of its freckles and began stuttering as he spoke. I, um, well, it's just that, uh... He looked frantically around the room as if he needed a place to crawl in and hide. He stood very quickly. Uh, Rebecca, can I read that paper if you're done with it? Rebecca tried to cover a large smile on her face. Sure, it's right here. I wasn't really all that interested in it. Uh, thanks. Finnegan rushed to the paper, opened it wide, and buried his face behind it. Rebecca and I sat down on the bench across from Finnegan. Lilith continued to play with Bobby, but had a slightly bigger smile than usual on her pretty face. We all sat for a bit, in an awkward but funny moment. Rebecca placed her hand on mine, which made my moment no longer awkward. Well, at least for me, but yet the shadow of reality still hung in my mind. I worried for Jacob, I worried about this Dr. Whiteford, and I worried not about my own life, but the lives of those around me. About Rebecca, and how I'd be able to protect her. Would we even live long enough to make it to the Northwest? Uh, hey Finn, what's in the paper today? I said, trying to refocus my mind. He held the paper in a way no one could see his face. 
Uh, nothing good, unfortunately. Um, there's some strange disease breaking out in the South that health officials are worried about could be a problem, and the value of grumbles is getting worse. The words came rushed out of his mouth. I could tell he was still embarrassed. Thought that plastic money would lose its value, I shrugged. Oh, well, here's some good news, I guess, Finnegan continued. Listen to this. With fears of a coming food shortage, Flow Foods has announced that they have found a new meat substitute that tastes even better than beef. In fact, the study concluded that 9 out of 10 people preferred the meat substitute called Foeef when placed against a standard T-bone steak. Head researcher development and CEO William Bates says that the final testing and health and safety inspections should be finished by the end of the month and will be rolled out right away to help soften the blow of the rising food prices. That'll suck for the beef industry, but I guess at least people won't go hungry. I said trying to be as sympathetic as possible. I'm sure Finn was glad people would not be hungry, but it probably was not good for his father's ranch. Finnegan sighed a bit. Yeah, I guess, but I'm not sure if 9 out of 10 people prefer it to a T-bone steak. Maybe they had them burn their taste buds off beforehand, I said. Finnegan gave a small chuckle. Yeah, maybe. Just then, the door of the back of the clinic opened, and Dr. Whitford, Mrs. Whiteford, and Ruby came out. The look on all three faces was of somber. When the light caught just right in Ruby's eye, I could tell they were watery. All but Dr. Whiteford sat down on the hard wooden benches next to us. Dr. Whiteford cleared his throat. <clears> throat. Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is, I think, with the proper antibiotics, he'll pull through. Ruby did an excellent job of taking care of your brother. Ruby's eyes shifted down to the floor, and a single tear rolled down her mocha-colored cheek. Not good enough, though. You kept him alive, and the infection at bay. If it not been for you, he would not have made it here, Dr. Whiteford said sternly. However, the fears of the leg having to be removed are true. There's too much damage and possible infection in the bone that I cannot risk leaving it. Rebecca buried her face into her hands and cried. I did my best to console her, but there was not much I could do but put my hand on her back. Lilith stood up from the floor, took a deep breath. She struggled to try and keep the tears back, but a few slipped out. Her voice shook as she spoke. At least he's alive. Thank you, Dr. Whitford and Ruby. The plan is this, Dr. Whitford said. We'll keep him on antibiotics for 24 hours. That'll give us the best odds of this surgery being a success. Tomorrow, about this time, we will operate. I'd like to keep him in the clinic for a day, but to my understanding, Mr. Peterson says we have to go ASAP. So, I will continue to keep an eye on him. We will have to keep him resting as much as possible, at least for a few days. So, you'll be traveling with us? Finnegan put down his paper next to him as he spoke. His tone was not the nervous, shy boy, but took on more of a bite. Um... Dr. Whitford gave Finnegan a look of studying. I think he was wondering why he received such a tone. Yes, it's not safe for my family here. As Uliam and Finnegan know, I have a giant target on my back by betraying the Utopians. Upon those words, Ruby, Lilith, and Rebecca gasped. Then the room fell into a silence that made the tension worse. What do you mean, betraying the Utopians? Ruby's face began to turn red. Are you saying you used to be one of them? She stood up, trying to make her 5'4 frame bigger, and I swear it worked. Dr. Whitford looked tired as he spoke. Yes, I used to be. But we can have that conversation much later. I'm very tired, and I need my rest for tomorrow. Ruby, the staff here is limited. Would you keep an eye on Jacob for me? 
My wife, who's a nurse, will come give you some help when she is rested. Ruby looked at his wife. Did you know? Are you one of them, Deborah? Deborah, who looked just as tired as her husband, spoke with a hint of anger in her voice. I only found out about this two days ago, but this is also a conversation that I will have with my husband later. She gave him a sideways glare as she spoke. For now, we all need to focus on preparing for the surgery. This is something you could all do while you wait, Dr. Whiteford said clearly, trying to change the subject. Your brother has the ability to control metal. It's just a theory, but I once heard of a man who could weave wood losing his hand. He had one made of wood and could control it like it was his own flesh and blood. Maybe you can fashion him a new leg, and he could have some sense of normalcy. We will go find some metal, Lilith said, soft smile forming on her lips, yet her eyes were still holding concern. Come along, Bobby. Deborah picked up her boy, and the, and the three left the clinic. We sat for a moment in the swirl of emotions. I didn't know what to feel except I knew my body was tired. Lilith broke the silence and looked at me. You look tired, Yulian. We rented rooms in the inn across the street. You should go rest. Uh, I'll be okay. Besides, I can help you guys find the metal for... I didn't want to say it as if speaking that Jacob needed a foot would somehow make it true. No, Yulian, you should rest. Rebecca pulled her head out of her hands. Her cheeks were streaked with tears. I'll be okay, I protested. Please... For me, Rebecca stood up and wrapped her arms around me. I have this project to keep my mind busy for now, but I will need you later to be there for me when it's finished. I stared into those beautiful blue eyes. Okay, but wake me up if you need anything and take someone with you. Who knows if it's safe here? I'll go with them, Finnegan hopped up from his seat. Don't you need to rest, I asked. No, I slept for a bit when we came back, just, just in case if I needed my energy to find you and Rodriguez. Finnegan said almost a little too cheery for the situation. I tried my best to fight a yawn as I spoke. All right, I'll get some sleep, but don't let me sleep too long and come and wake me when you guys are done. Guys, I'm worried, Ruby cut in. Rebecca whirled around out of my arms to face Ruby. Why, about Jacob or the doctor? Both, she said quietly. Jacob and Dr. Whiteford seemed to know each other a little too well, like they'd worked together before. You're not saying that my brother is wrapped up in this utopian nonsense. Rebecca's face now went from crimson and her voice was filled with venom. Ruby slumped down like a child being scolded. I'm sorry. I just, I shouldn't have brought it up. Lilith stepped in between them. When this is all said and done, we can get to the bottom of it. For now, let's stay busy. Balaam knew three things. First, this hangover was the worst he had ever had. Second, he was sure Abigail had weaved herself into his head. And third, he loved and hated it all at the same time. He was now wearing the silver chain to keep her out, but he knew she had been in there. How deep had she gone? She obviously knew about Abigail and had chosen to call herself that to make him feel unnerved. He hated that, but the feeling of being a fly trapped in her web, well, for some reason, he loved that. How much further? Balaam groaned. He hated sounding like a baby, but anyone with this bad of a headache deserved to complain. You're a child. Man up and behave like a red robe, Abigail scolded him. Besides, look out your window, idiot. We are here. Balaam lifted the roller shade, 
and the light from the day sent his headache into a new realm of pain. He squinted, trying to make out some sort of detail on the other side. He could see buildings, horses tied up to outside rails, a steam-powered cart traveled down the road, and a handful of people walking up and down the main drag. In fact, those three crossing the street right now looked oddly familiar. Balaam squinted even harder to try his best to ignore the pain of his head. Stop the carriage! Balaam yelled out. What? Alabigail responded with utter annoyance. Stop! This time Balaam yelled so loud he wondered if the people he was trying to look at could hear him as one of them, the darker complected one, stopped and looked their way. Abigail reached up, banged three times on the carriage wall, which brought it to a sudden stop, which almost brought Balaam crashing down on Abigail. Had she not thrown up her hands to push him the opposite way? Get off me, she protested. Now what on earth is so important that we have to stop in the middle of the street? Them, Balaam pointed out the window. I remember them. Abigail raised an eyebrow and said as much distance as she could. So who cares? We are on a mission, not a social call. They gave me this, Balaam pointed at his throat. It was still bruised, but looked way better than it had the night of the riot. And Abigail bit at him. She clearly did not care for this. Balin looked back out the window as he spoke in a cold tone. I want my revenge. Balin could now see all three of the men were staring at him, which sent a shock up his spine. Tell the driver to go now. Abigail held up the wall again and the carriage continued. We are here for the book, nothing more. We will already have our hands full trying to get it out of Pan's tight clutches. Who is that? Balaam bit back at her. He was starting to enjoy this relationship, whether it was business or something else, he did not know. He couldn't quite wrap his mind around why he hated when others talked down to him, but loved when she did. He even felt a strange feeling of arousal every time she bit at him. Wow, you're dense, Abigail rolled her eyes. RJ, or Pan is his utopian name, is the owner of the Peppermint Pony and the mayor of this town. He's also a red robe lined in gold, which is the closest thing to becoming a purple robe. So he's kind of a big deal. So why are we going to have our hands full? Balaam wasn't sure if he wanted to slap her or kiss her. Abigail looked away from Balaam's hungering eyes. A wicked smile poured on her lips as she spoke. The man thinks the book we must get from him is the key to becoming a purple robe. It contains some very powerful knowledge of blood and misery magic, and he won't give it up easily. We may have to kill him. Are we allowed to do that? Won't we be punished for it? Balaam fell back into his seat. His headache was beginning to throb again. Tired of killing red robes already? Abigail giggled in a way that creeped Balaam out, but also drew him in, like he wanted her to giggle again. No, I just thought with him being so high-ranking and all of that. But before Balaam could finish, Abigail cut him off. The monarch wants his book, and he will get it no matter what, even if we have to slit the throat of RJ and, Abigail licked her lips, drink his blood. Would you like that, Balaam? Would you like to taste his blood? Balaam didn't want to drink the man's blood, but he was beginning to crave something else. He was ready to go cliff diving again. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 14, Ruckersville. 
an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Tune in October 24th to see what happens next. Want more news and information? Follow the Better Utopia Facebook page. Leave a five-star review if you like what you heard. Thanks.